You are listening to U of M Radio on your Historic Dial podcast, and this is Episode 5, Looking Ahead to the 1980s. Hello, Karen here, Project Archivist at University of Minnesota Archives. Today we are tuning into the program, Minnesota Issues, with an episode that aired December of 1979. The program was hosted by Arthur Naftalin on the University Television Hour and rebroadcast over KUOM from 1976 through 1988. At the time, Naftalin was a professor of public affairs at the University of Minnesota, but he had held other instruction and staff positions before at the U, including editor of the Minnesota Daily. He also worked closely with Hubert H. Humphrey on merging the Democratic and Farmer Labor Parties in the 40s, and had various political positions in the 50s and 60s, including being the mayor of Minneapolis from 1961 through 1969, before returning to the U. On this episode, he has invited graduate students from the Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs to discuss the future as they see it entering the new decade. I think you'll find some of their statements and feelings of hesitation and hope can still ring true more than 30 years later. Let's listen in. How do young people in college view the 1980s? Are they bullish or bearish on America and themselves? How do they feel about Minnesota as a place to live and work? These and other questions for David Aquilina, Nancy Homans, Tom Peake, and Elizabeth Roth, all graduate students in the Hubert H. Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs on Minnesota Issues with Arthur Naftalin, Professor of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota. As we enter the decade of the 1980s, it's clear that we have a lot of concern about our future. Each day we see a new problem surfacing. Some of the observers are in a state of very high pessimism, often despair. I thought it might be interesting to have students from the Hubert H. Humphrey Institute of Public Affairs discuss with me how they see the future. Naftalin, or Art, as he is often referred to on the show, introduces a pessimism and atmosphere of despair in the country. Yet his students surprisingly remain fairly optimistic. In these next clips, Elizabeth describes how important optimism is, and fellow student Tom adds that although optimistic, he is cautious and explains how given the events of the turbulent past decade, it has shaped a different way of thinking. I think most people today are facing a time of rising expectations in a world that they don't see how it's going to accommodate those sort of feelings. And it's important for people to still retain some degree of optimism to uh, enable these people to see that there is a future out there that maybe can meet their expectations and maybe their expectations aren't higher than what can be realized in uh, the world that we have. So yes, I, I definitely share that degree of uh, optimism. I, I think the, the comment about questioning is important in that as I look at my generation, we're the generation that in its formative years experienced uh, the assassinations of uh, a president and uh, political leaders, the, the generation that has had to come to grips with an energy crisis and overall a resor diminishing resources, and so that when it comes to the rising expectations, we are forced and in addition, we are forced to have to deal with that in some reasonable way, and it's more than just questioning becomes a part of your life, I think. And so, uh, and the same is true in looking at the political um, atmosphere, too. And we're the generation that, 
that saw our politics uh, displayed in Vietnam and in Watergate. And so that if there is optimism, I would say if there is optimism in a world that has presented my generation with um, a very pessimistic picture, it is because we've just integrated into our lives looking at the opportunities that do exist, trying to redefine um, what it is that we will get meaning out of, uh, try to redefine our political ethic and so on. Well, here what you're saying, you're saying that, uh, that the view of the future is not one of despair, that it's one of concern, one kind of tentatively wondering what the future might hold, but at bottom, uh, expectations that um, do carry with them hope and uh, a reasonable kind of, not optimism, at least the sense that uh, you can get on top of the future. Moving on to more specifically looking at life in Minnesota, Naftalin and the students discuss why they hope to stay and work locally and discuss the openness or perceived openness of the state in the 1970s. I was going to ask each of you about uh, specifically about building your career, living here and working here in the state of Minnesota. Uh, sometimes uh, we lose uh, the best of our young people who want to go to Washington and elsewhere. How do you feel, Nancy, about uh, living here in Minnesota and making your life here? I'm a relative newcomer to Minnesota. I've been here for two and a half years and I, I grew up overseas and so it's been an exciting introduction to me to my heritage um, in the United States. It's also been exciting to me and I think one of the reasons why I would choose to stay here is that it is an accessible environment. Um, I'm a fairly politically active person and I found even in the two and a half years I've been here, mm. I've been able to move in to the kind of structures and communities which make the decisions in this, in this city, and that's been exciting. And the other thing is, is the commitment of family and willing to make that choice. And I'm glad that all that can come together in a place where I can be so personally fulfilled. Good. Elizabeth? Yeah. As a newcomer also, well, as of five years ago to Minnesota, I also share some of those feelings that Nancy does about people here being very involved in their own community and, and uh, very accepting of others, especially people from outside the state who want to also promote the um, better quality of life that people here do have and feel that they have in Minnesota. So I'm very optimistic about future um, openings here. I think Minnesota is setting a lot of uh, trends in the political world. I think they are in health care. I think there's a lot of potential in this area for people in public policy to really make an impact in spite of what might happen from time to time, still provides thus far an openness for people to, to make a difference individually in their communities and so on. And, and I think it's, it's <clears throat> if we get into this puffery thing, I think that's a mistake because then we lose sight of the important things that, that have to be done, the dangers that may lurk out there in Minnesota. And I think that we talk too much about Minnesota in euphemistic ways that way, about the great the, the Minnesota miracle and all of that stuff. Um, but nonetheless, when it comes right down to it, you'll get a diversity of people with a diversity of, say, political viewpoints who will agree this is the place to fight it out because it makes a difference. And so in that sense, I think uh, Minnesota is, is an important example. I, yes, I think what we've all said is that we have found that there is a certain openness in the political system in Minnesota and a, a certain sense that, that one can participate and can make a difference and that there aren't big barriers in your way uh, to becoming involved in public affairs here. There are barriers, I think. I, I, I think we can be over-optimistic, but I, mean, I think there are barriers but strong traditions. 
that stand against those barriers. Uh, because Minnesota has a tradition of, of you know, third-party movements and strong political parties and strong local activism and, and uh, a sense of, of uh, that individuals can make a difference. Now, we can lose that as easily, you know, if, especially if we, if we begin to be too convinced that we're going to always have that. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, and don't recognize the barriers. But I think those traditions really, really help us in that sense. One can always hope that Minnesota continues to be this place to fight it out and make a difference. The episode wraps up here with a question of political leadership for the upcoming elections and how the students would like this leadership described and whether or not it is currently present. I find the overall consensus is that it's not present in 1979, which given the events mentioned by Tom in the beginning, it's not surprising to find caution and frustration. I would like to know how you perceive of a president that would really provide the kind of leadership that you feel the nation ought to have in these troubled times. In other words, not so much who you're for, but the kind of president you'd like to see emerge out of 1980, and whether or not in that context you see something promising in the presidential campaign in the way of candidates. Begin with you, David. Well, I'm not particularly excited about any of the candidates right now there is one candidate who intrigues me, and that's Jerry Brown. I feel that of all the candidates who are now announced, he is the only one who is attempting, albeit not that persuasively at this point, but at least attempting to articulate um, a political vision that addresses the questions of the 80s. I feel that most of the other candidates are still working on an agenda from the 60s, from the past. Uh, Tom Peake, how about you and your outlook for 80 in the presidential election? I don't see that at the presidential level is where the leadership is going to come, and, and that even if it, if it could come there uh, in this year or future years, that there are a number of barriers, including the enormous bureaucratization of the government at the federal level, and including the sort of debasement of the political debate by, by the media, um, and by the candidates themselves, that I think it's important that we look at um, state and local elections and try to improve those that we, that as individual citizens we can have more effect on, um, issues that are more tangibly close to us. Nancy, finally, you on this question. Oh, I'm still very ambivalent uh, on this year's race, and I think a lot of that is from my experience of working very closely with the presidential candidate in 1976, Morris Udall. And so you come to appreciate a human being who is about to take on that kind of a job. And so I guess I, I still am looking for very personal characteristics that have to do with integrity and with courage and with not taking oneself too seriously, if, if that can all be in the same person. Um, I still think the symbolic leadership of the president is important, and I think that that's a concern for us now. Um, I guess the other thing that concerned me when I thought about it was my expectations. And even working with, with Mr. Udall, saying, oh dear, I wish he wasn't quite like this. Um, we're going to be dealing with human beings and putting them in that position. And how do we, what expectations do we place on them? And what do we want from them for, as political leadership? And I guess I'm still struggling with that. In looking ahead to the 1980s with Naftalon and his students, I think we can still see a lot of our present day society. Having these discussions in the United States, at the least every four years, 
it can be easy to draw parallels to these hopes and frustrations from decade to decade when we ask, what does a leader look like to each of us? I wanted to end today's episode on Nancy's reason for hope and optimism in a well-expressed answer to Naphtalin's first question about the students' views of the future. I think as long as people continue to ask questions and continue to struggle and continue to be willing to get up in the morning, if you will, um, that there is, there is hope. If, if the enthusiasm and the energy of the human spirit can break through in even just a few cases, and, and there are many around, from Mother Teresa to those who've gone to Cambodia to help, to those who go to the polls every year or their precinct caucuses, they're willing to give it a new stab. And I think that given that there are those people around us every day, that there is real reason to be optimistic about the possibilities of the future. Thanks for tuning in. The U of M Radio on your Historic Dial podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment. Subscribe or download on iTunes or Google Play so you don't miss another moment of Historic Minnesota Radio. If you enjoy our clips and want to hear or learn more, go to www.lib.umn.edu slash uarchives and search KUOM in the collections guides. Digitization of University Archives recordings was financed in part with funds provided by the State of Minnesota from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund through the Minnesota Historical Society.